Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. Episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Edwards, and with me, of course, the eternal lie to my strange aeons. Aeons? Aeons? Aeons. Eon? I think it's eons. Like, it's, it, the AE is like Renaissance, so it'd be. Yeah. Yeah, Aeon. Aeon. Aeons. Yeah. I don't know. I'm sure somebody will correct me. Apparently, somebody was on uh, uh, one of the boards the other day telling me that my German pronunciation was terrible, which I will never back away from. That is probably absolutely true. Who told you that? I didn't see that. Uh, it was on a Facebook group. Somebody asked for podcast suggestions, so I put it on there, and somebody, uh, a friend of mine saw that and said, oh, I'm going to go check it out, listen to the last episode, and said my German sucked. So that's fair. I'm going to allow that. I'm not going to deny that for a heartbeat. I'm, <laughs> I'm embracing the suck of my German. It's nice to know that you're embracing your suck, Jonathan. Yeah, Das East suck. That's I don't know how else to say it. You know, if we were like a morning show uh, on like uh, local radio, this would be the part where you'd play the sound effect from Spaceballs, you know, suck, suck, <laughs> suck. <laughs> oh, <laughs> 81 degrees at 8 p.m. here in Cedar Park, Texas. You are listening to uh, FMD radio. <laughs> there you go. He was in traffic at the top of the hour. That's right. <laughs> As always, we're going to get this episode kicked off with a big old thank you to our patrons over at Patreon. You guys are helping us keep the lights on, the servers humming, and questionable life decisions continuing because, oh my god, I watched the worst movie the other day. All right, we'll, we'll get to that in a moment. Okay, okay. <laughs> well, before we get there, Jonathan, or, may, or maybe this was the cause uh, of, of your, your luck with this movie, but happy National Black Cat Day. Aww. Yeah, so apparently uh, black cats and black dogs, for that matter, have a harder time getting adopted down at your local shelter. So if you're thinking about getting a dog and a cat, why not think about a black cat or a black dog? And if you already got one, post on social media with pictures of your black dog or cat. I had a, a Labrador for 15 years. Her name was Kelsey, and she was a black lab, and I miss her every day. Yeah, uh, when I was living with my folks, uh, they had a dog, and I did not name this dog, but his name was McCoyer. And he was, uh, he was a good dog. He was smart. Everybody thought he was stupid because he was very, very, he was very Kirk. You know, he, he wouldn't look before he, he left, but he was, <laughs> I like him already. Yeah. Yeah. So like he would do dumb things, but he was doing dumb things cause he was just so excited and it was hard to like, you know, how can you fault that? Yeah. But I mean, he was a smart dog cause he really liked, you know, having stuffies, you know, and there was a point where he had a collection of like 10 to 15 of them. And you could say, go get the tiger, go get the bear, go get the blood. And he could go get them based off of names. It was, he was a smart dog. I don't necessarily know that I would ever call Kelsey smart, but my Lord, she was sweet. She was just the sweetest, sweetest girl. And let me tell you, when, when Chloe was uh, a baby, she was just so gentle with her and she could do anything to her and she wouldn't she wouldn't react and then um actually apollo um who's now 12 uh he was um gosh what 12 13 weeks old when i got him and it's funny because even though apollo wasn't her puppy she completely changed overnight she changed Aww. into a mama dog and she just took care of him and you know let him be a puppy but scolded him when he was when he was out of line and it was just a 
No. So that was my 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 little girl Kelsey. She she at at a full sized Labrador, seventy five plus pounds. Uh, she made it to fifteen years old before she. Uh, I, I unfortunately had to put her down. She had bad hips and things just were going real downhill real fast. Oh, poor puppy. Yeah, but Kelsey led to Ragnar. Well, there you go. And somehow I've hit an all time low on the intelligence quotient for dogs. <laughs> God, Ragnar is the most adorable dog in the world, but my. God, is he dense. He is just dumb. <laughs> and it's not an act. No, he's it's lovable. Not an act. He's, he's lovable. Just, he's lovable, without yeah. a doubt. And he's huggable, and he just wants to cuddle. But my God, the dog is just a dumb dog. Probably shouldn't have fed him all those paint chips when he was a puppy, huh? Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I... Oh, I'd, I'd say he regretted it something, except I don't think he remembers it either. He has no long-term memory at all. I'm surprised he knows his name. Genuinely surprised. <laughs> moving right along. I just have this vision of your dog coming up to you. It's like, hi, I'm Ragdar. I have short-term memory loss. Hi. hi. <laughs> <laughs> that is legitimately Ragdar. No, no doubt in the world. It, it took me almost three months to get him to learn his name. <laughs> Oh, poor things guy. have gone downhill since then. <laughs> All right. Well, we have to one of life's most intriguing questions. That was, of course, the, the question from episode 96. What do we call Brendan now that there is two ben- Brendans in the show? So Brendan of, of Professor of Zombology fame, he just said he would like to be referred to as Brendan. But if we must give him a label, he wants to be Brendan first edition. I like that. And then Library Brendan is Library Brendan. Brendan 1E? Can we do Brendan 1E for short? Yes, yes. I feel like that's that's a good compromise. I changed his nickname in the Discord server to Brendan 1E. That's only fair. That seems fair. <laughs> what I really want to know, Brendan, do you have any Professor of Zombology cards? No. Oh. Business cards. That's, that's what I want to know. And if so... Please send one to me because I think I need one in my life. I need to be able to throw that, throw that out onto a table and say, let me call my professor a zombology friend. You know, you think you'd have that for like this time of the year. It'd be, that'd be a good little. Yeah, I feel like it. I feel yeah. like it. Speaking of Brendan, he answered one of the questions that we had in the last episode. What are we going to do at Halloween time? He's doing the candy tube. He is doing the candy tube. Yeah. He even showed us a picture of his customized PVC candy tube, and I must say, it looks good. It looks real good. Yeah, it's like a black and orange, like, uh, barber barbershop little stripiness. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's, he's got me thinking about ways that uh, I, I can outdo him now. Like, this has suddenly become a, an arms race of sorts. <laughs> the, the great candy tube conundrum of two. Yeah. Yeah, the... We are officially hitting that part of the pandemic, folks, where I've been at home long enough that decorating a PVC tube is suddenly the best thing ever. (laughs) I think I'm going to be one of those people who just turns off my lights. That's fair. Sadly. So. Reminder time, yeah? Yeah. Which means. uh, God, no time at all at this point. Yeah, yeah. So. I mean, I guess the questions close off the Monday after at 99 hits the airwaves, because that's going to be when we record, give or take. But uh, yeah. That means yeah. you got, what, four weeks, roughly? Four weeks to answer it? Uh, by the time they hear this, uh, actually, it'll be three weeks and six days, because it comes out on Tuesdays. All right. So get your questions for the Ask Me Anything 
no really anything yes. segment that we're going to do in, in 100. I've seen that a couple have, have popped in, yeah? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I meant to mention this to you. I, I've already made the, uh, the show notes and whatnot for episode 100, and you have access to them. So when that time comes, I guarantee you what's going to happen is you're going to say, you didn't share it with me. And I'll say, yes, I did. But I shared it with you like three episodes ago. And then you're going to go, oh, and go back and get it. Or I'm going to have to send you a link. One of the yeah, two. Yeah, you're probably going to have to send me a link. I'm not going to deny that. <laughs> but yes, yes, the questions are on there already. You can go look at them if you'd like. I could send you the link now if you want. Well, one last bit of uh, business we have to get to before we can start with the fun. Brendan 1E has uh, said, instead of watching Johnny English, maybe we should watch the Melissa McCarthy movie Spy, which came out in 2005. You know, I've never seen it. I've never seen it either, um, which which has a certain appeal to me because <laughs> I, yeah, I, I get to see a new movie, which is fun. Yeah, I'm kind of with you on that. And it's not like there's a whole lot coming out between now and then anyway, because... No Time to Die is now, what, April? Yeah, yeah. So here's the one problem. Do we still want to do Johnny English? Because the problem is we're going to do Die Another Day, and then Johnny English came out in 2003, and then Spy came out in 2005, and then Casino Royale comes out in 2006. So we're going to have a big gap before we get to Daniel Craig. If we I'm okay both. with that. I'm okay, okay with that. Okay. okay. So I guess we'll do both. All right. I will I will update our No Time to Die. Or do you want to do two in one episode and do a, a, a comedy back-to-back? No, no, no. That's that's too much. That's too much. I mean, I hate to say it. We're trying to tread water till April at this point. And this 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 was scheduled to end sometime in what, December? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, no, right. early next year. Early next year. Yeah. So. so this buys us a month. I'm okay with this. Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, there we go. We, we now have a 30-part series, Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say that I've ever watched Johnny English either, but I'm also not a Mr. Bean fan, so I'm not sure how well I will tolerate this. You know what? I uh, I wasn't a big Mr. Bean fan either, uh, and I watched Johnny English, and I remember I don't I don't remember the first one being like great, but I remember being amused. Like I actually watched the whole thing when it came on. So it was on HBO one afternoon. And I ended up watching the whole thing because I I was having a good time. I was having a good enough time to at least do that. That's fair. I'll allow it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, that gets us to the end of our pre-segment chatter. So now it's time, of course, to slide into our first segment, which is the off-the-shelf segment. This is where we talk about all the wonderful things that we've had off of our shelves, onto our tables, or in some cases, other places, and into our hearts. What order do you want? I think I picked the order last time. It's your turn to pick the order. You're the host. You pick the order. I'm the co-host. I'm Andy Richter standing here over on the podium. I have been reading... Uh, almost out of control at this point. So I I say we do books first. I want to do okay. books first. Okay, let's do books first. All right. Do you have anything on the list? Yeah. Well, I've been reading a lot of I've been reading a lot of articles and, and whatnot. But uh, the only two books I've been reading is I got yet another version of the Odyssey because yeah I don't, I don't know why this one's a, a kid's version. It's designed for like you know probably third graders would be my guess. So it's like 90 pages. It's really short. I'm about halfway through it because I've been trying to read it in front of the kids. So I don't read it at night when I normally read. And then I forget to read it because I'm not used to reading in front of the kids as much as I should. This one's interesting because instead of uh, doing it in the order that Homer did it, they put it in chronological order. And just uh, it really, really, really drives home that whole notion of Odysseus. Man, his his him and his men were stupid. Like if they just sat down and had like five minute conversations more often – like a whole bunch of their problems could have been fixed. So yeah. many problems. You're not wrong there. Yeah. 
But then you don't get an epic tale, so... Yeah, but it, it was making me think, like, because I had this, like, bright idea for Theros if I ever ran it. Like, I would do, you know, the Magic the Gathering fantasy version of the uh, of the Odyssey. But, like, so much of it hinges on people picking up the idiot ball uh, in certain segments. I, it, it would be... Uh, to really get that experience, I don't know how you could emulate that in Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, it's like get back on the ship, men. Don't open that bag, and it's like that could be treasure. We should open the bag. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then the other thing I've been reading is uh, we uh, we got randomly talking my my buddy and me, and uh, he mentioned that he uh, of all of the classic Dungeons and Dragons settings, the only two that he would really like to play were Spelljammer and Dark Sun World. And then I started reading Dark Sun World stuff again. So I've been reading this old box set I bought and actually barely even cracked open called uh, City by the Silt Sea. And it's it's Dark Sun is kind of sword and sandals, you know, it, mm-hmm. it, it, kind of kind of st- yeah, and kind of Mad Max. It's kind of both. It's post-apocalyptic fantasy. I like it. Yeah, yeah, um, and yeah, no, it's it, it. That's actually a surprisingly good adventure. It's. Uh, they really did a good job because it's about a ruined city and, you know, the weirdness above and below and all that stuff because, of course, there's caves. And uh, But, yeah, the, the guy who wrote it was Matt Forbick, actually, and uh, he does a really good job of, like, setting the tone. It's it, like when I just got done with the main city part and the city is very spooky and, and I liked it. And it's not like a normal D&D spooky. Like, he invents his own spooky and it's a good, it's a good weird, dark, sunny spooky. And I, I, I enjoyed it. It was good. I have been on a bit of a tear, and I finished uh, book three in the uh, Expand series. So I have now finished Abaddon's Gate, which was really interesting. I really liked where it went. So uh, I've never gotten this deep into the Expanse books before. I've read, I think, one and two before. But now mm. I've read read all three this year, so that, that makes them fresh. Uh, so what I've been doing is when I'm reading a series, I'll read a book in the series and then I will read something else in between and then go back to the series and bounce back and forth to give my brain a break. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I um, actually, uh, I think I talked about this a few episodes ago. I watched a movie called Hold the Dark. Yeah. Well, I got a hold of the novel. Thank you, Amazon. And um, I read the book and Wow. It is not often that I get to say how impressed I am by the tapestry of sensations that is expressed only in words. And that is exactly what this book does. It is one of the darkest books I've ever read. So be forewarned. This is not a happy tale. And it does not ever even flirt with happiness. But that being said... The use of language, the use of interesting situations, even the use of violence juxtaposed against banal life is striking. Like it is, it, it it's it's a difficult read because of the emotional aspects of it. But my goodness, what an amazing book! Like I thought it was so well written. Well, you chose wisely, according to my internet searching. Uh, your library does not have that, but mine totally does. Of course yours does. <laughs> of course. So yeah. um This yeah. is the one by William uh Will- William Garaldi? Garaldi, yeah. Cool. Okay. So also I have to say, and this is a credit to the filmmakers, one of the smartest adaptations I've ever seen. Having now read the book, I hold the book and the movie as equals. 
And I don't get to say that very often. I'll have to watch this movie. It is a it is a perfect adaptation of the text in in both tonality and in in smart decisions about what to keep and what to change for the different medium. I am really impressed. Nice. And so I consumed that in like four days. I I read the hell out of it. So then I started to read uh, Sybil Laburne, which is book four in the Expanse series. And I just picked that up this morning, so I'm maybe 20, 30 pages into it. So depending on how the next two weeks goes, maybe I'll get a chance to read a bunch more. Uh, since we went camping two weekends ago, I had a chance to do a lot of reading. So, Speaking of which, listener Dale, hi Dale, asked me to tell ask you about like a, a call about art or something that you got. He was very vague. About art? He, he oh, a- yeah, 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 yeah. So he sends me this text message all of a sudden. Out of the blue. Hold on, let me get it. <laughs> he says, hey, 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 because apparently I wasn't responding fast enough. Uh, he needed me to look at something super quick, but not dig too deep. So he sends me this Word document, and it has like six badly cropped pictures on it. Mm-hmm. And he asked me for what my top two were in terms of just what I liked. So I picked two and sent it back to him. And he says, uh, I had to finish uh, filling out a form. Sadly, no payoff until March. Uh, call it a year anniversary of the COVID surprise. Should be worth the wait. And that's all I know. Mm. Mm. That's all I know. So I'm curious now. I'm very curious, and it's been really hard not to start Googling uh, because, you know, I'm a decent Google detective, so I feel like I could find what the answer uh, to the question of what is it, but I don't kind of don't want to because now I'm excited for a March surprise. There, there's a there's a good chance that it'll be a while till we're back in the office, so, you know, surprises for the home are always good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hey, Jonathan. Mm. What if I told you I lied and I know exactly what he was talking about, and I just want you to know that I know that? You know I have your address, and I can put feces in a box. You know that's a thing, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. Just letting you know. Just, just little FYI. There's services. Okay. Well, There's well services. little FYI. I know precisely why. <laughs> anyway, Jonathan, I just want you to know I know. And I want Dale right. to know that – I want you to know that Dale knows, and Dale told me, so Dale knows that I know that you know now. Well, I want you to know that I know that you know that Dale knows and I don't know. That's right. Good. What does that make us? Absolutely, Absolutely nothing, nothing. Which is what you are about to become. <laughs> Prepare to die. What do you want to move on to? Let's get video games done. Video games? Mm-hmm. I tried the internet sensation Among Us a couple times. Oh, isn't it great? You know what? My experience has been very different because playing it on the internet with randos is not nearly as interesting as what I've been to- told the experience is playing with people. No, you got to you got to get in with a bunch of people on a Discord channel. That that's the way to do it. Yeah, yeah. I'm not I, saying I, you won't have fun with randos, but no, it it works so much better with Discord. Yeah, I I'm finding the randos on the internet, the games t- are over way too fast. Like I I barely got a beat on what's going on and then it's like people are either getting voted off or we lose. Yeah. I can see that. And you and the the internet, most people like putting like the characters at like 1.5 to 2x speed. So, yeah. It's uh, it goes really fast. Far too fast. Yeah, I was uh playing with Dale a little bit and he said that people uh the, the people we were playing with had cranked up the speed and uh, unfortunately it was the the first time I played a couple of weeks ago and so I hadn't I didn't know any better 
and then playing it with the standard speed really like people shouldn't be messing with the speed yeah i think people just like blowing through games for some reason it, yeah it shouldn't be about that it's it's about the it's about the ratcheting of tension yeah yeah and, and it doesn't work no t- if you can cover the entire ship in 18 seconds yeah yeah well that's the thing too like um uh most of the games i played they're they're done in less than 10 minutes way less like five typically so what have you been playing Let's see what I'm playing. Um, where's my list? There it is. Still, uh, still trucking through Ghost of Tsushima. Still having a blast with it. I have now completed the first act completely. I'm into the second act, and I am slowly going through and methodically doing every side mission because I am basically OCD about open world games, which terrifies me because the next two uh, games on my shame pile are also open world games. So I may have just booked basically the next quarter of game. What What are your next two games? Um, I've got Horizon Zero Dawn that I've only played about 10 minutes of. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I've got Days Gone By. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I haven't heard of Horizon Zero Dawn. Eh, it's the big one. They made a board game out of it. Also, it's going to be one of the near launch titles for the PS5. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That one, that one. Yeah, I have that one. I haven't. I haven't played it. I need to. I played through the first 15 minutes, really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't know it was like a Zelda game. Ooh, I've been looking for something new to play. Maybe I should get Oh, that man, that and Ghost of, Z- Ghost of Tsushima are... I- I'm having so much fun with that game. You know what? Maybe I should dust that off and play it. I've been, been kind of like looking for a new game to play, and I'm sure my daughter would like watching me play it because the protagonist is a lady, so she could probably get behind that too. All right, they, let, me, let me finish Ghost of Tsushima so we can play through it together. Well, you got to play quickly. All right, I'll I'll turn up the volume, or I'll turn up the well, the volume of play, <laughs> the volume of my voice. Um, I also recently uh, a, a couple of family members uh, downloaded Forza Seven, so I uh, re-downloaded it and got back into it. Now I've I've just been playing a lot because yeah, I like racing games, and it's been a while since I played it, and now I'm totally sucked back into it. Yeah, that game is the one lone game right now that makes me wish I had an Xbox over the PlayStation. Man, when you compare it to um when you compare it to Gran Turismo, it's there's there's nothing to compare. Well, there's, there's not- just not a really good like arcadey kind of light racer uh on the PlayStation. So many of them are so simulationist. Yeah, there's nothing arcadey. I want well, something arcadey. I, I'm light. playing the the sim one, Forza 7. The, the one oh, okay. that, that is uh akin to Gran Turismo, but yeah, yeah, Forza like Horizon Forza's. is a beautiful work of art of a game because it perfectly straddles the line between arcade and sim. Yeah, that's what I, I want, like a light sim. Yeah, know? and that's exactly what it is because the cars still have weight and and they feel like real cars, uh, but they also feel like you could do almost anything you want. It's, it's beautifully crafted. It's a great experience. Yeah, I wish they'd make Gran Turismo Sport. I think, well, I think they did make a game called that, but it wasn't. You get what I mean. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that I'll ever go that direction with Gran Turismo. Gran Turismo is a hard, hard sim. And Forza is the hard, hard sim. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway. Hey, man, I knocked a quarter of a second off of a lap time by lowering my tire pressure by a few PSI. So, you know what? I get it. Yeah, oh I get God. I get I get deep. I get real deep into the Forza. Nice. Uh, so, yeah, that's about it for video games for me. All right, you want to tackle my mountain that I've done over the uh, over the two weeks on the video games? No, no, no. The next topic, next topic: Mo- movies and TV. Movies and TV. 
Yeah, I have a mountain too. So let's 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 uh, machine gun the mountain. Okay. Okay. Uh, so rented Birds of Prey from the library. Oh, finally! What'd you think? Uh, it was surprisingly pretty good. Uh, right. My, my, my daughter really wanted to see it because she loves Harley Quinn for no real reason I can fathom. Um, and no. Uh, Maybe in a couple of years, but not right now. <laughs> that, 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 wow. I don't that blame movie's you. dark. Yep. <laughs> I warned you, didn't I? Uh, you did, but yeah, I'm glad I chose to watch that one first before I, <laughs> before I just said, yeah, let's let you watch it. Uh, yeah, a little dark. I, I, would, dark. I would hesitate to show that one to even my eldest daughter yet, and she's 13 or 11 now. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, She's not there yet. No, no, but it's it's a good it's a pretty good movie. I liked it. Uh, what's his oh, face? Ewan exactly. McGregor is Black Mask. Oh, oh my, my god. god, he was great. Yeah, and and I would have never even thought to cast him as it. Yeah, no, and he he nailed because Black Mask is like that in in the books. He's he's so unstable. <laughs> is I guess the best word for him. And Ewan McGregor really had that going. And, uh, you know, Mr. Zaz was in it, which is always a nice, fun thing because he's real creepy. And yeah. And then the, uh, you know, the Huntress and all of them uh, and just, yeah, it was a good, it was a good flick. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. So no complaints there. Uh, the boys finale happened, which we watched. Ah, don't tell me. Cause that's, that's, um, I, there's so much friggin' TV right now. I'm having a hard time keeping up with it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, no, but, uh, good season. I, I, I like it more and more the more it strays from the comic book, which is nice. Um, and next season is going to have Jansen Eccles, you know, from uh, from the Supernatural as Soldier Boy, which will be fun. He's he, Soldier Boy is basically their Captain America parody, so we'll see where they go with that in the uh, in the in the TV show. Star Trek Lower Decks had its finale as well, and oh my god, uh, I have watched that finale now four times. It was great. Stuff happens in it that's awesome, and I can't tell you what because I don't want to ruin the surprise. All right, I'll get to it. Like like I've said a couple times to you, there's just too much good TV right now. I can't keep up with it. And speaking of which, uh, Discovery Season 3 happened, finally. And uh, yeah, we're only one episode into that because it just came out. But uh, yeah, I'm having a good time so far. It's an interesting, it's an interesting take because they go way into the future, and the future is kind of a crap sack. Tell me no more. Tell me no more. Can, I, can, I, can you plug your ears? It's a bit of a spoiler. I don't know. Well, no, yeah. just, I'll, I'll get to it. it. I'll, I'll get to it. it. I'm, I'm chewing it. through stuff as quick as I can here. I mean, look at my list. I've not been idle. All right. And last but not least, I'm still plugging my way through The Simpsons, and I uh, they just put season 31 on Disney+. Plus. And uh, this is the season uh, where a lot of the actors that were doing – uh, voices for people of color who were not people of color stopped doing it. And uh, wow, Simpsons got real white all of a sudden. Like I just, you know, like none of the darker skin characters have just been in it. And it's like, whoa, uh, yeah, like recast those characters or just hire some new voice talent to make up some new characters because the Simpsons is so white right now. And uh, this season has had an episode taking place entirely in Portland and an episode about healing crystals. So yeah, Simpsons is real, real white and woo right now <laughs> and that's it i'm done with tv oh, machine okay. gun butter 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 all right uh rewatch prometheus still a hot mess we really need a director's cut on that one i feel like they left about the entire plot on the ground you know what's really really pisses me off about that movie i read the script 
Oh my God, the script is so good. That they did before the guy from Lost came in, Damon Lindoff or whatever, one of the guys from Lost. Because he's not a good writer. I think it's the one not on Star Trek, so I can I can allow that to continue. Yeah. But uh, yeah, uh, that script was really good because it didn't dance around that it was an Aliens prequel like that one did. And it didn't. The, I mean, the problem with Prometheus, it, it's a problem that a lot of movies were having. Even Well, they're, they're continuing to have it now where everybody's trying to build these film franchises and they're forgetting to make a good movie right now instead of like s- setting up story for like five sequels, you know? And uh, I think that movie definitely suffered from that because there's a lot of like, why the hell is this going on right now in that movie? <laughs> you know, I, th- I think that's where the Marvel movies get it right, because they always seem to focus on making a good movie before they make a good part of the universe. Yeah. Yeah. And so many people forget to do that. Also, coincidentally, where the Star Wars movies all fell apart. But hey, no, the Star Wars movies all fell apart because they didn't have a plan going in at all <laughs> what are you talking about like like at all like that was the main failure like you know we're like so overdue for our our talk about the mandalorian and 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 the rise of skywalker but whatever i guess we'll have to i'll, I'll, I'll have to rewatch. <laughs> i'll have to rewatch it at this point i don't think i've watched it since it came out yeah i know i haven't watched it since it came out because it was uh it was terrible the whole sequel trilogy kind of sucks because they didn't stick the landing even I really though I liked, lost points I really, really on that, liked. Jonathan. Can I retroactively get points? You just admitted you haven't watched that movie since it came out because you didn't like it. But then No, you, I never said it was because con- I didn't like it. I just said I haven't watched it since it came out. I just well, Why? Maybe it's not a good movie? Maybe it, it didn't stick the landing? Maybe right it didn't stick the landing, Jonathan? But I've also got, like, dude, I've got Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Joker, that... Uh, 1917. You can't tell me that my, my pile all right, of all right. unwatched so this is, this movies is what doesn't I'm have tell gems you. This in. is what I'm, I'm going to tell you right now. I'm going to go back and revise my point total towards me on that particular question. No, if you have not absolutely watched. not. Shut, hold your mouth. If you have not watched Rise of Skywalker by the time we record the next Predictions episode, because that has been out on media for almost a year now. It might even have been out for a year. And if you can't bring yourself to watch it because you're just, you can't drum Dude, up I'm the interest part. start it right now. Okay, I've got right headphones now. on. <laughs> I I will call that for not sticking the landing. If you can't drum up the vague interest to watch it while you are at work or something for two hours. All right, we'll see. I've got a lot of movies on my list, so I I will let this happen organically. Yeah, I, I will not rush it because that's not fair. I am up to episode nine watched of Lovecraft Country episodes. Seven, eight, and nine of Lovecraft Country have so far been three of the best episodes of television I have ever seen in my life. Also, the writers of that show not only understand their characters and have created a full season arc that lets the characters grow in a very organic way that never feels forced, but they are some of the deepest and most well-written characters I've ever seen. And episode nine brought me to emotional tears in a way that I didn't think TV could do. Wow. Impressive. Can I ask you a question about it? Yes. I was reading on the internet. Somebody said something like, you know, something that happened in Lovecraft country where somebody says like, Oh, you look exotic. Are you Chinese? And then the person said, said something in Korean. Did that happen in an episode you watched? Yes. Okay. Something and, along those lines. I don't think that was the exact dialogue. Yeah. And but then, it is and, handled in a very appropriate way. So I want I want to say this. I want to say this. 
That has happened to my wife <laughs> since I moved to Portland. Somebody had has asked her if she's Chinese. And I told her about that, about because the, the thing on the internet is speaks in Korean. It's like, oh, you don't speak English. And then the, the Korean person says, no, I, I asked you, uh, would it be, well, actually, this isn't appropriate for, for our podcast at all. So never mind. She says something very inappropriate. <laughs> I, I, they handle it very well. They handle it very well. I don't want to. I don't want to say too much because I don't want to give any plot points away in that. Because okay, fair enough. The the arc is is best enjoyed when you know nothing about it. Do not let anybody spoil Lovecraft Country for you. I will say this: uh, if uh, you ever think to ask an Asian person where they're from, just mind your own damn business and don't say that out loud. Think yeah. of Lovecraft Country. Earth, Earth, Earth is always the answer. They're from Earth. Mm-hmm. I don't know why they would even think that anyway. Uh, yeah. Oh, I don't get it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so Lovecraft Country is amazing, man. Like, I can't wait for you to watch it. In fact, when you start watching it, I might rewatch it uh, because it's that damn good. My wife says we should swap CBS All Access and HBO Max passwords. Except I already have CBS All Access. Oh, really? I forgot to shut mine off. Uh, maybe you should cancel it because we're going to have yeah, it I should. discovered. <laughs> Um, let's see. Uh, Raised by Wolves. Okay, so here's what I've been doing. I've been going through and I've been I've been watching multiple series on the same streaming network at the same time so that I can space out the episodes and and curb my natural inclination to just slam through a season, right? Yeah. So, I've been watching Lovecraft Country, Raised by Wolves, and True Detective Season 2. And so, I'm now up to episode 9 on Raised by Wolves and wow is that show going places oh my gosh like it's cuckoo banana pants but in all the great ways it's super hard super awesome sci-fi it's crazy where does it compare to the boys in weirdness oh it's up there it's Mm. way up there i don't want to say anything more because i might give it away it's a different kind of weirdness though okay this is a super hard sci-fi this is not a tongue-in-cheek you know yeah yeah um but it's it's really uh, another show that's really well put together and really well written looks like ridley scott learned something from his prometheus uh good (laughs) good (laughs) oh look he found the plot all right so (laughs) moving right along um true detective season two you gave up on it and you shouldn't have is it as good as season one? No, I'm never going to defend that. Is it good in its own ways and worth watching from start to finish? Yes, absolutely. And the last two episodes are very intense. All right. It's it's good. It's got a different burn. And it's not like, just pretend it doesn't say True Detective on the nameplate. It shouldn't. Because that's it's really not fair to it. It's good in its own right. I just, it's it's its own thing. You know what I think the problem with season two is um, because they dropped the supernatural element of it, it just became a procedural crime drama. And uh, I've seen a lot of those and they're not that interesting. (laughs) And I don't think, and what carried me through season one was the supernatural stuff. And then like, you know, the characters and I just, I, I couldn't get into the characters in those first three episodes. They just did not intrigue me. I found them all stupid. Well, they're extremely flawed people. None of them has, ultimately a a particularly redeeming quality but they are very consistent and there is a point where they all attempt redemption whether or not they are successful i will let you judge on your own 
Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also a fantastic shootout in it. Yeah, my 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 friend we, my friend was talking to me about it. He he said he really didn't like it, and he said, but the show could have redeemed itself if uh, that shootout they actually like addressed it because that would be like a career ending shootout basically. But they kind of just move on from it, and uh, they don't kind of tackle it in a real way. He felt so. Uh, that was his feeling. That was his feeling. I don't really know the context of it. I am just playing telephone, so I cannot defend I, that position. I enjoyed I what they it. did with it. Okay. Uh, let's see here. And then... Um, oh, you did it. You watched oh, Congo. I did, my friend. I did. I watched Congo again. It is everything that I thought it was going to be and so much more. It is so bad. It is so good. <laughs> Amy. Amy. Oh, God. Shut up, Amy. <laughs> I just wanted to take off that glove and throw it in the lava. What are you going to do now, Amy? It's so bad. It's stupid gorilla is so bad. But the rest of the actors in it are amazing. Jack like, Wade's in it. Yeah, he's great. <laughs> he, I mean, he's basically playing the same character he plays in, in, in as the CIA agent in Bond. But yeah, he's great. Well, man, when you got a character type you're good at, that's just what you should do. He's like a character actor of old. You hire him to play a part, the and same that, part. He, he seems to know it. He seems to know what he's good at. Um, but dude, like the, the, the movie has a lot of redeeming qualities. There is some very interesting, if you read in between the lines, social commentary going on there. Very interesting. Um, that's actually one of the smarter things that it does. It's just that it's, it's so caught up in, in some frankly cheesy things. And, and honestly, like I fault the original Crichton book because this, this is not so far from the Crichton book. Yeah, yeah, agreed. But, I mean, Laura Linney is Laura Linney. She chews up the scenery like with, with what would be an Oscar-caliber performance, especially when you take into account how craptastic the dialogue is. Yeah, well, I think the problem was, like, that was after Jurassic Park, and everybody's like, we should make every Michael Crichton book ever. <laughs> oh, that's exactly what it was. You know Frank Marshall directed it. Yeah, yeah. Kathleen Kennedy produced it. Well, and then, like, you know, they made Sphere, and Sphere was a dumpster fire, too. Oh, God, Sphere was a hot mess. But it's got an uh, amazing, uh, amazing score. I really like the score. Oh, I'll have to listen to it. It's been a long time since I've watched it. A lot of horns. A lot of horns. Big and bombastic. I mean, look, at the end of the day, you know, the reason I liked it is the reason you like, like, uh, The Phantom or The Shadow or, you know, the original Indiana Jones movies. This is... It's this big adventure movie. And it, it it there's a lot of redeeming qualities to it. I mean, Ernie Hudson's character is friggin' amazing. And Ernie Hudson is amazing as him. I will stand by that to the end of my days. Ernie Hudson, criminally underused in Ghostbusters. You finally get to see him just completely flex his acting chops in this. It's unfortunate that this performance ended up in such a B-movie. Because <laughs> it is a B-movie. Uh, Tim Curry's in it. He's hysterical. Bruce Campbell's in the opening. I, I know all yeah. about this movie. Delroy Lindo is in it, and he is freaking hysterical. There's an entire dialogue about the sesame cakes. Do you remember that? No, no. It's It's been like 20 years, man. Oh, my God. Mr. Hromolka, please put down my sesame cake. <laughs> it's amazing. Delroy Lindo's amazing. Like It's just... It's... 
All right, all right, Jonathan, Jonathan, hold your I mouth. need you to hold watch this about, again. Uh, I, I'm, I'm looking it up at the library because I don't have HBO. Oh, God, they don't have it on Blu-ray. Can you imagine that, Jonathan? <laughs> <laughs> Has it even been released on Blu-ray? I don't know. Apparently not. Hold on. Oh, there it is. All right, all right. Congo has been released on Blu-ray. If you can't get it at the library, I'll buy it for you from Walmart for ten bucks. <laughs> I don't care. I I I got you the DVD. Send me your sir. copy afterwards. I I got the DVD. So there you go. The DVD is on my hold list. Shockingly, nobody has it out currently. What? <laughs> Artistic heathens, I say. All right, what else have you been watching? We've been talking way too much about this movie. Oh, man. I can't wait till you watch this. It's so bad. It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. Okay, so it says The Invisible Man. Is this the most recent one? Yeah, it's the new one that came out earlier okay. this year. Okay, hold your mouth. I, I got that also on hold at the library. Uh, All right. I'm in I the queue, I should say. Then I will not say anything about it. I don't want to. I don't want to change your viewpoint on it. I would like to. I would like to have this conversation with you. So I will just say I watched it. And I look forward to discussing with you after you've watched it. Cool. So yeah, that's it. I've, I've watched a lot of movies, a lot of TV lately. I've been doing a lot of uh, process-oriented stuff, uh, so it's been it's been nice to have some some company on in the background while I chew away at it. All right. Well, before we get to board games, I do want to talk about the fact that you and I are playing an RPG together. Oh yes, yes. And I am so excited because this will be the first RPG in a long time with the exception of the super secret thing that I can't talk about, uh, that I've had an opportunity to be a player first before I am a GM. And that's exciting to me. Yeah, yeah, we make characters for Star Trek. Star Trek Adventures. I liked the character building system. It forces you to come up with a really good backstory to to justify a lot of the things there. I thought that was really clever. I really enjoyed that. I I went in not really having much of a plan or knowing what I I wanted to do. I first sat down. Yeah, yeah. And so just but but um, so the way that the character creation works is you choose your Star Trek race, because, of course, you do. Um, and uh, and then the first thing you do is where your character was born and you can completely roll at random. So most of this is D sixes. So there's like six choices. You know, it's like Federation world, home world, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then the second thing you do is like what your family was up to uh, when you were a kid. You know, were they in business? Were they part of Starfleet? Were they blah, 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 blah. Then you move on to uh, picking your career track, I think, in the uh, in the academy and and yeah, and like academy stuff. And then you do your uh, like two life events that happened after you left the academy or if you're a young officer stuff that happened while you were in the academy. And that's the one where you roll a D20 and they have a lot of wild things. And it, it puts together an interesting story. The two I got were lauded by another race and then I got uh, betrayed my ideals for a superior and so I hooked up that one with the background of one of the other players who's going to play the one of the only Romulan in Starfleet. And so basically he's one of the Romulan unificationists and I, my guy sponsored him to be in Starfleet. So and that and that's part of my backstory that the, the Romulan unificationists really like my guy for some reason. Uh, <laughs> And, uh, yeah, it was cool though, because we could like sync up all these parts, you know, because it's like, oh, Hey, my thing would fit your thing. Cause I was trying to figure out what race I should do. And I'm like, wait a minute, we got a Romulan. What if I, what if I'm part of that? That would make sense. So yeah, it was fun. Yeah. I really enjoyed making the characters. And you got, you have a, you have a Klingon, right? I do. I have a Klingon who is the first officer. Yes. And what, what life events did you roll? 
Uh, I was actually just loading up the game to uh, make sure that I, I did not screw this up. So I have Mogadush, son of Mortran, and ha- of House Mang. Do you remember your life events that you rolled? I, I'm bringing it up right now. I have... Um, all right, so my values, and I really like the value system because this is... Um, it's really an interesting way that you have to justify actions in the game. My values are aggression is the path to safety because he's Klingon. Of course it is. Uh, a glare and a growl will help you get your way. Oh God, our guys are going to get along famously. I know it's going to be great. Tension. Uh, my crew is the most important thing. I will always protect them and always prepared, always vigilant. Um, and then what was it? You were life events, life events, life events. Where it? Where do we put those up? If you did it on the roll 20 sheet, you didn't, unfortunately. Oh, that was dumb. I'd have to go look then. Yeah. But I know I did it. I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by this system so far. Because like the, just, just in the character generation, it forces you to think about character background in a way that it really does help you shape an interesting character. It gives you, it gives you history, and that, that history helps you shape the reason they are the way they are today. You want to know what my values are? Yeah. So my guy grew up on a, a, a not a Federation world. So uh, there are things the Federation chooses not to see. Mm. My second value is most problems can be solved by talking about them. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to annoy the shit out of my guy. Yeah, my guy start, My guy was uh, he, he, he was on the therapy track. Uh, in in start in uh, in uh, the academy and or actually after I left the academy and then my first captain convinced me to uh, switch to command and be a diplomat because I had a knack for it so my guy comes from a, a diplomatic background. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my third one is quitting. Let's Admiral Valil win. And basically, part of my backstory is my, my because of my ties to Romulus and whatnot. I've really pissed off a couple of high-ranking uh, Starfleet officials and kind of installed my career uh, because my guy is barely a commander, and uh, even though he's like in his forties, when all the other you know show captains have been captains by that point. So, and your guy's a commander too, so we have added tension. <laughs> and then my last one is dysfunction is the team. It's a line that Stamets says in like the preview for season three of of, of uh, Discovery, but I, I like the idea because basically related to the, the boat we're on, which is I've been thrown in with a lot of really weird people, but you know we uh, I can make it work because I'm a diplomat. Damn it! <laughs> we're gonna clash so much. It's gonna be great. I'm so excited. Yeah, yeah, but I decided. Uh, yeah, my first posting, I was the assistant ship's counselor. On my first posting, and then my captain <laughs> convinced me to do the command track, so I switched shirt colors and took the bridge officer test. Oh man, I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, this is going to be <laughs> so much fun. Okay, and one last thing, one last thing. I just want to bring this up. Uh, so, still, still plugging away at my reboot of my campaign setting, uh, Maraviosa. But uh, so one of the races that I put in were these dudes called the Fearbolg, which Fearbolg is an Irish word for one of the tribes that settled Ireland back in the day. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to change it because it's not terribly Spanish. <laughs> 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 and so I was talking about with Gina and we found out about this Basque myth about the uh, Basahun. How do you spell this, Jonathan? Or how do you pronounce this? Correctly? Give me the word. Give me the word. Where do you want it? Uh, Skype, I suppose. Basahan? Basahan. Basahan? 
So in, in Bosque... How of J-A-U, not U-A. Yeah. Basahaun, I believe. Basahaun? Okay. Let me look it up. That's really interesting. I've never seen the, the A-U versus the U-A. Well, we learn something every day. But uh, yeah, basically, it's it's Spanish Bigfoot. <laughs> it's it's this myth of these this uh it's kind of mixed if there's one or more of them i've read it both ways but uh basically it's a dude that lives in the forest and is incredibly hairy and uh likes humans and protects shepherds and stuff and so i i kind of just s- switched the fear bulk to those guys um but yeah and some think that it's based off of old stories of the time when the neanderthals and the uh, iberian tribes lived in the same place at the same time but yeah, it just means uh, men of the woods, apparently. Man of the woods, something like that. And they're credited with building obelisks and teaching men how to forge ah, iron. Ah, okay. I just, I just found it. It's, it's Euskera. It's not true Spanish. Basahaun. Ah. Basahaun? Yeah, haun. Ooh, I like that. Haun. Good to know. I'm going to write that down. Basahaun. Haun. It's it's Basque. That it, that's essentially what it is. That's that what the Uskera is. Yeah. Um, basically, people, uh, especially if you you come from a Dungeons and Dragons background, Dungeons and Dragons is straight up based off of three mythology cycles, and they are Greek, Vikings, and English. And if you start reading mythology and you know myth and something from any other even medieval European culture besides one of those three, you're gonna find cool stuff to steal, like way cool stuff. Because, yes, Dungeons and Dragons has a tad of a bias towards those three cultures, very specifically Greek, English, and more recently Viking stuff has been thrown in because Vikings are popular right now. Had not noticed. (laughs) All right, board game, sir. Well, I've been playing the game that we are going to be deep diving today, Cthulhu Death May Die, so we'll be covering that later in the episode. Uh, Playing more Marvel United with, uh, with the kids. Uh, that has quickly become a, uh, a mainstay here, and I believe we are going to be deep diving it in... I think 97 is 97, point. right? Or wait, wait this is, is this 97. Ni- no, this is 97. 98. 98, yeah. Uh, and then, of course, Rallyman GT online with you. So I was telling you, because uh, you're asking what I thought of it, and I was saying that my experience with it, I liked... I personally liked the cycling game better, but I think it has a lot more to do with the fact that we were playing it together. Um, whereas this we're playing on, on uh, board game arena. So like, you know, there's hours that go between my turns and it's a very, very disconnected experience. And it, it's almost like a very, it's almost a different experience playing the, the cycling game and, and, and this. So like, I, I know you love this game to death and I'm like, I think I can't say, I, I think, I think we just need to play it on tabletop simulator if they have it or just, you know, somewhere where I can speak to you while we're doing it, you know? What what I like about this game versus the the Flam Rouge is that Flam Rouge is more methodical in your thought process, and while there is a certain amount of randomness and variation that comes from you know shuffling the deck and then you know seeing what pops up, this there's there's a regular ability to risk and racing to a certain amount is about risk, so that's something really interesting to me. Well, like I said, I, th- I think we should play it together in in real life. I think that would be able to give me a better sense of it. Because I'm I, I'm realizing the reason I like the cycling game more has a lot more to do with the experience of playing it with people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is how I generally like doing my board gaming, because that's what I like about board gaming. So, I think there's an iteration of it on Tabletop Simulator. We should probably 
we could probably get together and play a uh... yeah we should check that out all right well that brings us to the end of our first segment which means it's break time and when we return we will be hitting our wisdom of crowds our so we will see you in just a moment we love getting feedback so please let us know how we're doing by one of the following you can become our patron over at Patreon. Search for Forgot My Dice. We also have a Discord page where we organize games and chat about all sorts of stuff. Find the link on our website, ForgotMyDice.com. You can also message us or tweet at us on the Twitters. Find us at ForgotMyDice. And of course, you can email us at FMDPodcast2016 at gmail.com. Or you can head on over to our website, ForgotMyDice.com, where all of our episodes are available, plus game reviews and other content. If you like the show, the best way for more people to find out about us is to give us a review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher. Last of you, for those of you listening in the village, call the operator, give your number, and ask for us to be put on the rotation. Robert, this, this needs to stop. Listen, I'll, I'll make you a deal. I will not make any deals with you. I will not be pushed, filed, stamped, indexed, briefed, debriefed, or numbered. My life is my own. Oh, I'm going to cut his cord. And welcome back from the break. It is now time for our Wisdom of Crowd segment. This is, of course, our bi-weekly tabletop news segment. We bring to you all the fun and exciting stuff that's, uh, well, a lot of coming soon right now for me. How about you? Uh, no. Well, a little of A, a little of B. All right. Well, let's uh, let's go ahead and get started. I believe I've got the first one this week, huh? Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, I think we've talked about it on the show before. Core Worlds, uh, one of the old school of the new school of board gaming, uh, one of the, the the first really big deck builders. It has been announced that Quixotic, Q I X O T I C, right? Quixotic. Quixotic, yeah. Quixotic Games has announced that they have acquired the exclusive rights to the deck building game Core Worlds. Uh, and what's interesting is that was, I think that is the original designer, right? I don't know. Yeah, Andrew Parks. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, so he's he's he's, uh, he's bringing it home, bringing it home. Stronghold Games had published it originally, and of course, Stronghold Games gone through some uh, recent changes with uh, Stephen Bonacore retiring, so. Now, uh, it will be going over to Kixotic and, in a way, going home to uh, to its its father. So, Core World's Empires uh, will be coming uh, next year, and, uh, yeah, they're expecting it on Kickstarter at some point. All right, well, breaking news today. Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman, the creators of the Dragonlance campaign setting and writers of many a book set in that world, filed suit today against Wizards of the Coast. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. Via complicated licensing, basically, the pair got to work on a new trilogy of books uh, in March of 2019. Book one apparently is already done, and they've, uh, you know, sent manuscripts and gotten corrections from wizards and blah, blah, blah. So a lot of stuff's already been done. Then in August of 2020, so just a couple months ago, uh, wizards sat them down and terminated the contract. And they are filing suit because of that. Now, the lawsuit alleges that basically the way they terminated it is in breach of the contract because basically it's not a reason that they can terminate the contract. Um, And they basically did it because Wizards has been having problems recently uh, where people are, you know, pointing out the racist junk in D&D 
And uh, their hiring practices have gotten called out a little bit for not including people of color like at all. And that's why they think they dropped this. Now, it's an interesting thing for them to bring up because what people have pointed out is maybe that's Wizards realizing that the book itself might be problematic and a little racist. (laughs) And that's why they dropped it. Who knows? I could see it going both ways. So... But yeah, interesting lawsuit coming up today in Washington. So I, regardless of how it turns out or the reasons why, we will keep an eye on it and see how it shakes out. Have you played uh, Frostpunk yet? The video game? No, I've watched one of the people I follow, uh, the video gaming people play it. The Geekism. Jaunty Sparrow is the host name. Did uh, Did it look interesting to you? Uh, yeah, it was a... Most poke... Po- <laughs> Most polka, uh, I, I keep saying polka apocalypse. <laughs> polka apocalypse. <laughs> that sounds like the best album ever. Most polka apocalypse 2020. <laughs> We're going to accordion your brains out. <laughs> Most post apocalypses. Uh, the world gets no, desert and hot. It. I, now, I, now this is the only way I could ever have this. Okay. Mo- Most polka apocalypses uh, are are hot, I guess, except for Snowpiercer and this, but this is the first video game I've seen where it's like a city builder, but your main resource is heat <laughs> out of everything, which is interesting. So yes, it looks interesting. I've, I've seen the game. Yeah, it is a city builder and it is now going to be a board game. Uh, there's an adaptation uh, uh, coming from glass cannon unplugged. If you unplug your glass cannon, then it can't go pew pew. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, they will be focusing as a company on board game adaptations of video games. Uh, it, the people on the team were involved with this four of mine, Lords of Hellas, Nemesis. So that's a pretty good pedigree. Okay, cool. So in Frost, in Frostpunk, the board game, one to four players will be uh, in the lead of their post-apocalyptic city trying to survive a new ice age. Uh, it's going to be scenario based each game will consist of 12 days, and within that day, they're going to have a ton of things that they have to contend with, and uh, you'll be measuring the welfare of your citizenry. You're going to be tracking things like hunger and discontent, um, hope, and so, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a lot of aspects of the game going into the board game, so I'm really excited about this. Yeah, the aesthetic of the the computer game is really interesting because you build everything around this like giant furnace, basically, and so your city is very made up of like very concentric circles, which is interesting for a city builder because you can only have certain basically Houston. Yes. You can only have certain things so far out from the heat source because you know, there's an ice age on it's bad. (laughs) All right. So over to me, I take it. At least there's no poke apocalypse. Poke apocalypse. Oh my God. That's amazing. We need this. We need more post apocalypse or post apocalypse. Yeah, I can't even say it. I I I think we found the episode title, Poke Apocalypse. All right. Um <laughs> Weird Al would approve. So Chaosium for the second anniversary of Greg Stafford's death has announced Pendragon, sixth edition. Uh up right now is a quick start uh with pre-made characters and whatnot, and people on the interwebs are having kittens about this one, Jonathan Kittens. Good kittens or bad kittens? Oh, bad kittens. We're getting we're getting that crowd out, the grognards. Uh, because in the character part, they, they do the correct thing where they don't have the character's name 
uh, or they're like heraldry. You're just supposed to fill that in when you take over the character, but otherwise it's all already made, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, they also say you can choose the character's gender and all the grognards are like, there aren't any lady knights. <laughs> this is obviously SJW nonsense. And that crowd is out right now. And uh, it makes me want the game more. <laughs> yeah and honestly true story so they recently came out with uh what they call pendragon 5.5 and it has a it had a really really dynamic cover interesting cover but the interior art was kind of old and medievally which kind of turned me off a little bit too because yeah but uh i got to the section where they talk about ladies in medieval times and they basically straight tell you you have to make a male character you can't play a woman because because everything's awful and sexist and i'm like well then i'll never get to play this game because i game with my wife so yay i guess i don't need to buy this book so if they are addressing that because you know what you know what also doesn't happen in real life grognards watery tarts don't throw scimitars at you from a lake you know true true facts yes and there isn't an island called Avalon that you can sail to and there aren't wizards and there aren't people who are born and live backwards. That just, that also doesn't happen in real life. Fascinating, huh? So yeah, you know, uh, if they're addressing that me, I'll, I'll, I'll at least give it a look-see. Maybe they should be addressing their toxic masculinity. I'm just saying. Yeah. I'm if, if people being able to play ladies in games, if, if giving somebody that option, saying it exists just because, you know, it's fun and who cares and plenty of women play role-playing games. If that pisses you off, that's kind of like your stuff. Just saying. It's really disappointing. I would like to think that in gaming we're past that. And I think for the most part we are. It's just some of the old guard, I guess. Over to you, John. Well, we've talked about Fantasy Flight pretty much every episode for the past couple of episodes because they keep adding more to marvel champions and as it turns out this will not be any different this episode go on fantasy flight has now announced the quicksilver hero pack who will be joining if you remember from the previous couple episodes ant-man and the wasp yes pietro maximoff is coming as quicksilver to marvel champions one of the best things of quicksilver i ever read was Quicksilver was in therapy. It was an issue in the low 70s of X-Factor back in the 90s. So comic books were garbage back then, and this was still really good. It's written by Peter David. And he's in therapy, and the therapist asks him, Quicksilver, why are you such a twat? Could you could you stop being a dick? <laughs> and he said, my worldview is like this. Have you ever gone to the bank and gotten behind some idiot who asks all these senseless questions that can't be answered. And all you want to do is take out some cash or do something really simple. That'll take you 20 seconds, but you can't because there's somebody wasting your time in front of you. That's my life all the time. I can actually see his point. (laughs) There's nothing that drives me more nuts than if I go to the convenience store and I'm trying to just get a soda and I have to wait behind people that are trying to select the winning lottery ticket. It drives me nuts. No, the third one down on number 52 is not going to be the winner. We all know it's not. Let's just get on with our lives. And can I please just drop my dollar and three cents so that I can take my soda and run? Well, there you go. That's why that's why Quicksilver's a dick. That makes a lot a lot of sense. I know. I and from like a mid 90s comic book. I mean, come on, right? Yeah, that's that's, a, that's an extremely self-aware moment for a mid-90s comic that's really (laughs) impressive actually 
Yeah, yeah. It was a good issue. It was a good issue. It was uh, it was after some like huge X crossover, and before they started the next story, they had like a filler issue, so they just had everybody go to therapy and talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that one always stuck with me with Quicksilver explaining why he's just kind of a jerk. <laughs> well, they're doing some interesting stuff uh, stuff with with him. Uh, Pietro, when you're you're playing as the alter ego, will help you to cycle your deck because uh, he's a heavy discarder, so that you get a chance to draw more. That makes sense because he's a speedster. I like that. And then they, they're they're introducing something new into the game. There is a a non unique ally. They're going to put multiple man in with him. Oh, really, Jamie? Neat. Mm-hmm. So yeah, looks like they are expanding um, gameplay as well with this. There was a really good run on X Factor. This was a much later arc, but multiple man to uh, to get get grounded and see more of life he made a bunch of duplicates and then sent them off and the first arc of x factor was him (laughs) tracking down all these uh these copies of himself that didn't come back and sucking them back into himself and uh yeah there's this really messed up one where uh he found one on a farm and they'd gotten married and you know was raising this kid as his own and uh, he decided not to not to eat that copy because uh he he would feel bad leaving that family all alone so he just let it be (laughs) and i'm like that's kind of (laughs) dark it's kind of dark uh, Games Workshop has announced Blood Bowl second season box set. This will be a new and revised box set with some rules revisions, and uh, it will coincide with a new rule book being released, which apparently will have like that, that I forget what it was called, but that quicker, dirtier uh, version of Blood Bowl that they made. Yeah. Uh, God, the name escapes me. Yeah, I keep wanting to say Warcry, but that's a different game. Um, anyway, that's going to be included in those rules. And apparently it's the first really major rules revision that Blood Bowl has like pretty much ever had. So, yeah, it's going to have streamlined and quicker rules, which which is good because I like that game. But there's a lot of dice chucking, probably just a little bit too much. <laughs> it's it makes it slow to play. Yeah. Yeah. So if they if they if they streamline a little bit to make things happen faster, I, I could get behind that. The new box set is going to come with two teams. One of them you will know and love the Orcs. Uh, they, they're getting new models, but they do not appear to be changing, uh, rules wise. But the new one is a new human team called the Bakkenhafen Barons, uh, which are led by Griff Uberwald. So they're also including the large players in this. So the humans will have an ogre and the orcs will have a troll model that comes in the box. You do not have to buy it separately. And they both will also have a star, uh, a star player. Uh, who's, uh, I, I actually never played with a star player, so I don't even know how they work. I guess they're good. And the, Bogenhofen Barons, uh, quote, Imperial nobility teams are flashier and more focused on strong, a strong running game and defense when compared to the standard human team, making them a nice alternative all-rounder option. I have no idea what that means, but yes, there are new models abound, new stuff. And yeah, I like that it's coming with the big models because when we were playing, I really wanted to get that troll. I really wanted to play with that. And if it comes in the new box, that's bitching. Jonathan, did I lose you? No, like no, no, no. Uh, I was just trying to think of something to say, but there's really not. I mean, I like Blood Bowl. I'm excited to see it expand. Yeah, yeah. And I hope I hope they do kind of smooth out the rules a bit. Yeah, hope, hopefully people will start playing it around here. I'd love to play that again. We had a plan once to buy that game on the PS4 so we could play each other again, and we keep forgetting to do that. <laughs> uh, I have it on PC, I think. Yeah, but there's no cross-play, and I don't have a PC that can play it because it's not on Steam. Or not on Steam, not on Mac. Cool. Well, my last story is uh, I, I already talked about a Marvel game. So now how about we talk about a DC game? Okay. Wonder Woman 84. Wonder Woman 1984, the card game. Two to four players, aged eight plus, is coming from Cryptozoic. 
Yeah, it's kind of pretty. Like, you know, Wonder Woman 84 has that that real kind of 80s pink and blue and yellow color palette. And this game kind of features that extensively. And it's really it's really quite pretty to look at the box. So um, you get a, a deck that has blocks, lassos, spirits, and punch actions. And then you will be defeating a, a lineup of enemies that, that uh, uh, comes. I suspect that this is probably based off of their... Um, deck building engine but i cannot find mention of it but uh it it reminds me of it as i look at it on the table so so yeah if you have a wonder woman fan in the house you will now have a wonder woman uh, card game that you can get them all right well that brings us to the end of our wisdom of crowd segment which means it is time for part 20 in our now 30 part series no time to bond where we are watching the 007 movies in order of their release date So today we have film 18, and our Wayback Machine advances only two years from GoldenEye to 1997. Tomorrow Never Dies, directed by the most British name I think ever, although apparently he's British-Canadian, Roger Spottiswood. Spottiswood? Spottiswood, old chap! (laughs) (laughs) Smashing! Smashing. It had a budget of $110 million, and it made $333 million. The budget apparently was quite high because MGM really wanted this movie's release date to coincide with their IPO, so they just threw money at every problem. And uh, apparently, uh, the script was in a really, really nasty place. It got rewrite after rewrite, including by my favorite Star Trek director, Nicholas Meyer, who directed two and six and wrote two and six. Good guy. When I say they had script problems late into production, they basically had two scripts that they were filming off of on the first day of production, and they would just sort of like choose which version of the scene <laughs> they wanted to film at first because wow. they hadn't like merged them. Yeah. And oddly <laughs> enough, you know what? It came together. <laughs> okay, so it's funny. I remember at the time when this one came out, I really liked it. And then I remember a decade ago when we I did this, I remember being a little disappointed in this movie. And then now, the third time around, 10 years later, I'm finding that I liked it. (laughs) I liked it more than I remembered liking it. So I think this might be the best of the Brosnans. It's a real toss-up between GoldenEye, because I think... I think the thing GoldenEye definitely has on this movie is the script is way better. Like, the dialogue and everything is much more on point. There's a lot more Bondian cliches and all that in, in, in Tomorrow Never Dies. But, like... The action sequences, the overall plotting, the pacing, the and soundtrack. The editing. the editing in this yeah. one is better. Because Goldman yeah, has yeah. got that weird spot where it slows way down. Yeah. Also, yeah. it has a helicopter ejection seat, and I'll never forgive it for that. Well, this one has the helicopter blender. Oh, God, I'll, I know. Just uh, We're just trying to remember that that didn't happen, okay? Yeah, but I mean, I, but that's the thing. Like the I, I, some of the dialogue in Goldeneye is amazing, and even like Judy no, Dench, it is. especially the stuff with 006 and 007 at the end of the movie, and, and Judy Dench's lines too. You know, if I wanted sarcasm, 007, I'd talk to my children. That's like the best <laughs> line ever. <laughs> All the parents that watch that movie go, "Yup, yup, yup, <laughs> yup." Judy Dench is right. <laughs> So, yeah, like, uh, that's why I'm really torn, because, like, Goldeneye just has so many zingers in it that are so quotable, and there's nothing quotable at all that happens in this movie. But, like, over, everything else is is better. I'll give you that. So I don't know which one I like more. You're, 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 you're absolutely right. I think Goldeneye is the better written film. It still suffers from some of the same problems that this film suffers from, which is these these weird ties to, like, the old style of Bond movie. It's like they refused to evolve. 
they try and it's like they get halfway to evolution and then they're like, well, okay, now let's just do this stupid thing. I do think that this has one of the strongest pre-credit scenes of any Bond movie of all time. Yeah, yeah, the White Knight scene. The pre-credit scene in this is fantastic. It's well-paced. It's really well put together. It has some fantastic direction, and it's genuinely exciting. No disagreement. Like, I, I, I literally don't know what else to say about the movie. Like, it's, besides the dialogue... And it's not it's not even that the dialogue's bad. It's just GoldenEyes was so good. <laughs> but everything about this movie, like other than that, is is better. And we we were both commenting. I mean, I own this soundtrack. The soundtrack's amazing. Oh, this it's like the best one I've heard in a long This is time. the first one from David Arnold. So I first found out about David Arnold uh, from Stargate. And I liked the Stargate soundtrack so much that I kind of put him on my list of composers to watch. Yeah, when he got brought in for 007, I was really excited because his big bombastic horn heavy score really it just fits the mood of the movies. And if you compare this to the the score from Goldeneye, Goldeneye score is a hot mess. This is an amazing, well put together score that really just does so much to accent and punch up the drama and the action on the screen. Like it's just really good. I mean, we're getting into more modern Bond movies, so a lot a lot of the more casual sexism is is really starting to wane and go away. I mean, Bond still sleeps around. Yeah, but there, there's even a scene where Money Penny and M totally gang up on him. <laughs> Which I thought was fantastic. I, I was like, they, they're they're basically making fun of his rampant sexism, and and he sits there and takes it because nothing else he can do. <laughs> yeah, he's like, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I don't have anything to add to that. <laughs> it, it was a little tough to see Ricky Jay because he passed away not too long ago, and that that's always tough to see an actor you really like go. Who who who's who's that? He's the the, the hacker guy that was you know spouting oh, all the techno babble. I, hated his character he seems so phoning it in oh no no it's, it's not his great character uh, his greatest character but he's a he was a really great character actor and I'm, it was it's always tough to see him because he just passed away recently he was in deadwood he was fantastic in yeah he just seems so like he just seems so like i'm reading my lines oh that totally says to me british agent and i'm like okay no that's just ricky J. that's that's just him I did find the film to be oddly prescient for today's society, which was a little creepy. Go on. How so? Well, I mean, basically, they're they're manipulating the narrative of politics and country strength by manipulating the, the news. And that's not so far off of what, what happens on social media today. And that, I mean, it really predicted it. Yeah, it's funny. Although they, they didn't do anything about social media. It was so funny to watch. It's like, oh, look, it's tomorrow's newspaper. <laughs> It's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that part was a little <laughs> newspaper. We have to we have to remember that this was the 90s and the Internet still existed in dial up form. And uh, yeah, like it was we, we were almost <laughs> we were almost there, but we weren't. Yeah. Besides, the villain's plan was like a little goofy because it, it seemed like such a gnome plan to me. It's like step one, I'm going to manipulate to well, I, I don't know why England's a world power, but whatever. I'm going to manipulate two world powers to go to potentially World War Three. Step two, step three, profit. And I mean, I get it's like step two is like I'll do news coverage of it and I'll sell a lot of stuff. But I'm like, people can't buy things if you're dead. If you actually start World War Three, like how is he going to ratchet the crisis down so that that didn't happen? You know what I mean? It didn't seem all the way thought through. <laughs> I don't know. And and that's one of the downsides to this one is that it it relies on the overly bombastic villain that was such a, a problem with Bond films before. Yeah. 
And that was something that, that I thought Goldeneye did a little bit better because the, the villain isn't overly bombastic. He's, he's just a really pissed off guy. I mean, it would have been easy if the, cause he just seemed like he was going to try to push everybody into world war three to sell newspapers. And then, you know, and, and if he, if they'd give him a couple of lines where he's like, you know, it's like, I'll, I'll get him to a really tense point here and you know, then I'll, I'll ratchet everything down. And I'll move on to something else to sell papers because, you know, we can't have everybody dying. That would be wrong. You know, just something like that. And then, and then the villain also, like he had that henchman under his control who was obviously like a sociopathic murderer. So they'd obviously been up to stuff like this for years and it's like, and you just now got on to the MI6's radar? I don't know. Like, yeah, the villain in this one's one of its weak points. You look at him with any scrutiny and things just start not making sense. And you're like, yeah, well, there are a couple of really great shootouts in this, including the the end shootout on the boat, which was really fantastic. But then it's hysterical because since the one of the last things we watched was Austin Powers on the boat did you notice the the countdown with the drill and all i could think of is the guy with the uh <laughs> with the giant um with the giant uh steamroller that was about to get smashed and then the guy doing the ridiculous countdown because both of those things happened in this movie <laughs> and it was just like like oh man it goes from like this amazing shootout to every single bond trope that austin powers so, was so intelligently making fun of in the span of 15 seconds. They, they didn't have time to learn anything because Austin Powers came out like five, six months before this movie. So. Oh, yeah. They, they would have already been shooting this film. Well, they would have been been doing post at this point, like six months before Go. Yeah, it would have been late in production at the very least. So, I mean, uh, Judy Dench still chews up every scene she's in. Just chews it up. She's so good. She doesn't even need strong dialogue. She just she just owns the scene. I mean, like what a powerful, powerful actress. I like her M in general because in a lot of the other 007 movies, like M seems to be part of a committee. Like it'll sometimes have other people around and they're talking, but in, in the Judy Dench ones, like, you know, they have her be the, the head of MI6 and, you know, and oh, she owns the living daylights out of it. Yeah. Well, and part of it like was, you know, they never really showed like the apparatus necessarily of MI6 and like situation rooms and whatnot, but that was, that's more of a modern thriller thing that they integrated finally. Yeah, because they did that, like her M really gets to like command people and like look like she's at the top of a large organization. And yeah, it it makes M more powerful because she gets to like boss people around and order people and people come up to her seeking approval and giving her information and whatnot, which is something before her we didn't we didn't ever see because it just wasn't a part of the spy genre before that. That was kind of like a hunt for an October thing that started getting thrown in or some other spy movies. The car chase gag was amazing. That was like the oh, be- the car chase. The whole thing was awesome. The yeah, the, par- the parking lot. I also him. love how he's rolling around in the backseat. Because like actually having a remote controlled car is like incredibly dangerous. They talked about that on MythBusters quite a bit. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, the the way he was driving it that made perfect sense because you know he was he was stuck in the backseat and and you know his window got blown out so he had to you know dodge the bullets. Overall, there's there is a ton to to really enjoy and like in this movie. I think that for every pro, there's an equal con. It's a very flawed movie, but I think that it's a toss-up for me personally which which movie is better. I think this is the better action movie, whereas I think GoldenEye is the better dialogue movie. And they get so close on the dialogue so many times, and they just screw it up. Yeah. Like that part where they, they've got Bond... And Bond says something pithy to the the villain when he's like showing off his like these are this is chakra torture, you know it's like all of these have been in, you know implement or designed to inflict the maximum amount of pain without killing you, 
And then, you know, the guy's like, ah, you know, my, my mentor's record was 56 hours. I'm hoping to break it. And then Bond says something. And then the, the villain goes, save this one for last. And then he explains what it does. I'm like, no, he should have just said, save this one for last and walk away. Because then he explains like, oh, I want Bond to, you know, be when you take out Mr. Bond's heart, I want him to be able to look at it. He should live long enough just to see it stop beating. And I'm like, well, of course you got to use that one last. If you take out someone's heart, it's going to kill them. <laughs> they should have just dropped that. He should have just saved this one for last and just walked away. That would have been way better, but they just have to have him overly explain it. And yeah, they ruined. Yeah, that's the thing. The dialogue just wasn't quite there. I don't know. I'm wondering if that's going to be a reoccurring theme because like as we get into more modern Bond movies, maybe have to c- come up with a new shtick because they're, they're going to get better about the problematic elements. I don't know. We'll find out. Yeah. So, I mean, overall, a lot of positives, um, some definite negatives, but a very enjoyable film. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The the Brosnan films as a whole have been aging a lot better than anticipated. Yeah, that's that's true. Considering when some of them came out. That's very true. Yeah, especially like when you really stop and think about it, this movie was right on the Internet cusp, like right on the cusp. Yeah. So was Goldeneye. And that that makes it tough. And and both of them have managed to do pretty well. All right. Well, what's what's next on our list? Uh, Next on our list is uh, Pierce's third movie. uh, The world is not enough. That was what? Two years later again, right? Yeah, I believe so. I'm kind of like half excited, half not. That's probably the proper reaction. (laughs) (laughs) Which means it is now time for our year in the life segment, our segment where we look at what we deeped over a year ago and we get to talk about it again. And one year ago, it was only little old episode 73. Forgot my dice, episode 73. Do the stare. We reviewed Monster Slaughter as part of our Forgot My Dice Boopy Halloween Spectacular. What a good game to talk about for Halloween. I really enjoy that game. It's got such great table presence, too. Yeah, we've we played it a couple times with the kids. Okay, so it's come out. That's a good sign. We we don't always get to say that about about games we review to be quite blunt. So the fact that you no, that's have absolutely true. <laughs> Unfortunately, I wish I wish, but uh, no, it's come out a couple times. It's always fun. Like it's always just so thematic too, because there's there's so with the 3D components that are uh, popping up out of the the box and using the box as the playing field and whatnot. I mean, just it it's got such great presence. Yeah, I'm looking at the picture that we have on the website. It is nice. It's a, it's a good idea using the box itself as the playing surface. It's so obvious. I'm shocked more people haven't done it. Yeah, it is kind of weird, right? Yeah, more people need to copy that. That's a good idea. Let's see what were we talking about. It's the first time we watched The Addams Family as a family. Uh, I was building Castle Ravenloft in Dragon Quest Builders 2. Uh, I think you had just seen Far From Home for the first time because we were talking about that. And, uh, oh, and you just bought Spyro Remastered. Did you ever finish that? No, I had to stop. It was making me motion sick. Ah, fun. <laughs> so, true true story, something about the original Spyro made me feel gross every time I played it. And I was totally okay with buying the new one because I thought it was going to be fixed, you know? Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, something about the way that camera moves just gets under my skin and makes me motion sick. Which is weird because I can play VR games for days on end no motion sickness hmm. I, I you know i play the the dcs games where i'm flipping around in 3d I'm, I'm you know moving up moving down moving left moving right rapid movement in vr no problem and something about the way that camera moves gets me every time the only other game that's ever done that to me has been the two wolfenstein games 
that, huh. that just recently came out. And I think there's something about a, like a head bobble in there. I don't know what it is about it. It, it, it. Whatever it is that does it to me, it's present in the in that one as well. Oh, my gosh, Jonathan. You know what's coming up? I don't know. But did you know that David Arnold also did the score for Wing Commander? Yes, he wrote the, the main theme for it. That movie I is a garbage s- fire. God, I know. It's so bad, right? I still <laughs> want to watch it again. I saw it in theaters. I did, too. <laughs> oh, my God. In, in Tustin, no less. Uh, Fullerton for me. Oh, what a sh** of a movie. Good <laughs> Lord. <laughs> it's so bad. And they had that, that stupid, stupid, low-budget version of the Matrix thing. But anyway, you, you want to know what's coming up real soon? What's that? Sometime around the middle of December, we will be one year into our No Time to Bond segment. Wow! That's crazy. Yeah. Do you think Matthew Lillard wakes up in the middle of the night screaming out, No, Wing Commander! <laughs> Because I do. I, I, I need that to, to happen. You know, I wanted to like that movie. It had a lot of interesting I ideas. I did, too. I love the Wing Commander games. It should have been awesome. And I like the notion of making a sci-fi submarine movie in space. That was a really good idea. No, it was a great <laughs> idea. This was not the one that we needed. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't. That whole Pilgrim storyline just didn't need to be there. It was so weird. I sense a challenge coming on. What? The challenge us to watch that garbage fire again? If I can find a free one, we're watching it. <laughs> if it's not at my library, I'm not watching it. Dude, your library has Congo. If they don't have Wing Commander, then it's just going to be a disappointment at this point. They do not have Wing Commander. What the hell? Yeah. That Get ha- Brendan second edition on the phone. It's unacceptable. <laughs> goddamn american treasure <laughs> you know he would he would probably come on and explain to us since he's the guy who would actually purge that from the collection you know he'd probably say like nobody rented it for you know a decade so we, we and here it. we are trying to do just that brendan <laughs> and we're unable to because you have not chosen to put it in there no he probably had it i bet you he took it out man i bet you he took it out it's four dollars it's four dollars i feel like we need to have to make this happen to own it (laughs) do you want to own it no no it's it's a garbage fire (laughs) do you know what the rating on rotten tomatoes is no tell me (laughs) 10 percent Oh, man. Jonathan, if you want to buy me a copy and ship it to me, <laughs> I, I will watch it. But I'm, I'm, it's not in my library. I'm not going to put any effort into it. If anybody can figure out a way to, 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 to let us not spend money and watch the Wing Commander movie, please let us know. Well, that brings us to the end of our Year in the Life segment, which, of course, means break time. And when we return, it will be time for us to deep dive Cthulhu. Death may die. Do you have a tabletop, board game, miniature game, or RPG that you're going to release for retail? Or do you have an upcoming tabletop Kickstarter that you're about to launch? We would love to interview you for a future episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Send us an email to fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com to schedule an interview. And welcome back from the break. It is now time for our deep dive. And on this episode, we are diving once more into the Cthulhu mythos. 
inspired by the writings of H.P. Lovecraft, you and your fellow players represent investigators in the 1920s who, instead of trying to stop the coming of the Elder Gods, want to summon those otherworldly beings so that you can put a stop to them permanently. You start the game insane, and while your long-term goal is to shoot Cthulhu in the face, so to speak, at some point during the game, you'll probably fail to mitigate your dice rolls properly, and insanity will cause you to do something terrible, or maybe advantageous. It's hard to know for sure. Well, that definitely is the strangest description of Cthulhu Death May Die that I think I would have come up with. Uh, You said you got that off of Board Game Geek? I did. Odd. I don't know that that necessarily fully encompasses what we're dealing with here. So Cthulhu Death May Die is, it's interesting, and it goes into a real crowded space, right? And it's also crowded by a lot of truly great games, uh, some of which we've even covered here on the show. We've talked about Mansions of Madness extensively, and Mansions of Madness is an amazing, uh, not just a great Cthulhu game, but a a great game. And so to to play in this space is, is difficult, because there's a lot of really good competition and I'm very happy to say that Cthulhu Death May Die really does a good job of holding its own. Now, let's talk about the way it plays. Um, so you have investigators, and um, your investigators, of course, are all very unique, and they all have their own abilities, um, some of which can be shared by multiple investigators, and some of which are unique specifically to them. Now, the first thing that really caught my eye is the the art. The art in this game is absolutely stunning and really captures the aesthetic of the, the 1920s very well um some very nice realistic style portraits and an extremely extremely diverse cast which was a really nice change of pace including some some toss-ups of some familiar tropes that that uh it was genuinely nice not seeing them done in the familiar way the artists a lot of people that you might have heard of adrian smith you know he's a big uh, a, a big regular with uh, eric lang games Carl Kopinski, Nicholas Fr- uh, Fructus, Richard Wright, and Felipe Pagliuso do a really, really fine job with the art. Once you've chosen your investigators, um, you lay out a map. You um, and, and one of the cool things about the way this game is set up is that you choose an Elder God, and it doesn't have to be just Cthulhu. It can be any of the Elder Gods that you have. There's two in the box. And then you choose a scenario pack, and those scenario packs are all designed to go in order, telling a little bit of a story, an episodic story, uh, which, given Lovecraft Country, uh, it, what a cool idea. <laughs> Once you get your episode and your Elder God, uh, there's certain components, like a deck of cards, that get mixed together, so you get little pieces of each. Uh, making them them blend together rather nicely. And then there are also a, a section that is just specifically basically telling the story of what's going on. And there's also a deck of cards that allows you to basically evolve the Elder God as they come into this world and then begin to grow. So it's really kind of interesting. Uh, the, the, the way setup is borrowing pieces and chunks from, from different sections, meaning that you get a lot of really great... Uh, ability to to dice it up and add elements from other components later on um, from expansion components. Make sense so far? Yes. So once you've got the game all set up, you're going to have a map in front of you. And if you've played Mansions of Madness, you're going to say to yourself, well, hell, this looks really familiar. Except it's handled very, very differently. In fact, 
Uh, line of sight reminded me most of uh, Eric Lang's The Others, where some uh, some components of the map will have one space, some will have multiple spaces, and they're all developed um, by using the walls and doors of the the uh, environment that you're in to define spaces. And if you're in a really really big room uh, that has no breaks in it, that counts as one space. Sometimes rooms will be very small and be broken up, and you'll have three spaces on a single tile. Um, so it's kind of interesting. It's it's a little more amorphous in, in, into how it handles um, line of sight and interaction in that way. Once you've built up your map, um, you populate it with enemies to get started with, and that map is going to come from your scenario pack. And um, then the investigators get to start investigating. Now, investigators get three actions in any given turn. If you're uh, an investigator, you get the option to run, which is basically moving three spaces as they're defined by the game. You can attack, which is where you make an e- a roll against an enemy in your space. You can rest. Uh, you have to be in a safe space to rest, which means you don't have any, um, any enemies. And if you rest, that means that you get to heal up three of your stress or three of your wounds Um, You get to trade with any other investigators that share your space. And then there are some unique actions that are going to be based on the episode that you selected. So, for instance, in episode one of the game, there are um, fire vampires all over the place and they have lit the place on fire. And so one of the episodic actions is to put the fire out. Okay. So step two of the turn, after you have taken your three actions and you can do an action more than once. Uh, is to draw a Mythos card. And this Mythos deck is the one that I was telling you that is half comprised of cards from the scenario and half comprised of cards from the Elder God. Uh, When you draw that card, generally speaking, bad things happen. If there, um, the first thing you'll do is check to see if there's an Elder One summoning symbol visible on it. And that's uh, important in a moment, which I'll, I'll get to. The next thing you do is resolve all the effects from top to bottom. And then at the bottom of some cards, you will see specific summoning gates, and it will tell you that uh, a specific kind of enemy comes from a specific gate. Step three, as a player, is that you get the chance to investigate or fight. Now, if you're in a safe space, which, again, is defined by a, a, a space where no, there are no enemies, you get to draw what's called the discovery card. And the discovery cards are, again, a component of the scenario. So those will change based on which scenario that you you select. If you are not in a safe space and there are enemies, they are going to attack you, and that's where you are fighting. Now, uh, at the end of the turn, you take step four, which is where a couple things happen. Uh, First, there are end-of-turn effects. End-of-turn effects are generally based on the scenario or the um, Elder One, and they are all explained in the context of the game as they come out. Next up, you'll determine if anybody's on fire. To catch fire, if you enter a space that has a fire token and then leave that space, uh, you are basically catching yourself on fire and you may take damage at the end of the roll. Then you look at the Mythos discard pile. So remember that deck that you take a card out and bad things happen? If that summoning symbol is visible, after three of those summoning uh, symbols uh, go into the discard deck, you are then moving your Elder One down a track closer to being summoned into the Earth. And if, heaven forbid, you have summoned them into the Earth, then they will continue to move down that track a second time, at which point everything goes wrong and everybody dies and the Elder Ones win. Uh, And then finally, 
The Elder One will generally have end-of-turn effects, which you then are, is the very last thing you do before moving on to the next player. Seems easy enough. Yeah, very much so. Really easy to learn, really easy to, to, to mess around with. Now, most things like attacking, defending when a, an enemy uh, attacks you, and, and even some of the things within the context of the game, like picking up certain items or, or doing certain tests, are all handled with dice rolls. Now, your base dice roll is going to be three black die, and those dice have uh, four different symbols on them. There's a straight success, which is just an exclamation point, an elder sign, which can allow you to kick in um, special abilities, generally from things that you pick up in the environment. A tentacle, which means you're going to lose one sanity, and, and it is a, both a good thing and a bad thing to go insane, which I'll talk about in a moment. And then finally, uh, a combination of uh, successes and tentacles. So everything is based on um, successes. So for instance, in the first scenario, if you are trying to put fire out, all it takes is one success. So if you roll and you get one exclamation point, great, you're in good luck, uh, all goes well. Now, if you roll and you don't like your results, you can take stress, which is one of your um, uh, one of the things that you're tracking on your personal player sheet, uh, to re-roll any given die. Stress is something that if you run out of, you just can't take more of it. But it doesn't necessarily have a negative effect. Although occasionally the game will say uh, everybody takes stress, and if you can't take stress, then you have to uh, take damage instead. There's also green dice, uh, which come into play in a variety of different ways. Sometimes they will be things that you've picked up from the environment, and sometimes you will get green dice because as you go insane, you begin to level up. And that's why, and that's why going insane is not always a bad thing in this game, because as you go insane and your marker moves up the track, you'll start to hit these checkpoints, and those checkpoints allow you to level up your ability, of which every player has three, uh, three abilities, and they're all different. Some, uh, some, like I said, are shared between multiple players. Others are unique to the individual. And um, as those level up, you start to pick up green bonus dice. And these dice have a different mix of the symbols that, that swing more in your favor. Yeah, yeah. So um, at one point, you are going to uh, meet the scenario's individual um, requirements. And when you do that, the Elder One will become weakened. If you do it before they are cast into the earth, then great, you have stopped the ritual and they can no longer come forth. If you have not beaten them out to the punch, then you're going to have to attack the Elder One, which is a tall, tall order. So you're saying there's a chance. Yes, indeed, there is a chance. <laughs> but like every Eric Lang game, this game is tough. Also, this isn't just an Eric Lang game. It's Eric Lang and Rob Davio. And both of them are known for their tough games. You win if you defeat the final stage of the Elder One. You lose if any of these things happen. Uh, an investigator is eliminated uh, before the Elder One is summoned. All investigators are limited, eliminated, or the progression token reaches the final summoning space, which is what happens the second time you go through that summoning track. Jonathan, how's that rule book? So the rule book's kind of a mixed bag. Everything that you need is in there, but it's in kind of a weird order um, that did not necessarily vibe with my learning style, for what it's worth. Um, again, I was able to find everything eventually. It just presented things kind of out of order. And I'm kind of big on show me the big picture, then give me the nitty gritty and then show it to me all together. Right. Because to me, that's the way my brain works. I like to see things at a, from a big angle, then get to know all the little individual components. And then let's take a look at that big angle again and and figure it all out. 
this one, it's it's all about the nitty gritty first and you don't really have context yet. So it's a little confusing at times. Interestingly enough, the setup for the game uh, does not even begin until page 10 in the rule book. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. You got this box set in front of you and they're like, hey, look at all these neat models. And it's like, yes, those are in the box. <laughs> so episodes. Yeah, you're right. It, it is a weird order. You think they'd start with the basic game instead of explaining what all the little individual things are. Yeah. You know, help me get it all set up on the table. That, that gives me a lot of context. And then let's start looking at all the nitty gritty. Yeah. So, the, like I said, the rule book, when it when it's talking about individual rules is great. The problem is just the way it's laid out and the order that things are presented does not necessarily always make uh, make sense. I'm just going to chalk it up to the madness of Cthulhu. Sorry, I'm flipping through the rule book. That's all right. You see what I mean, though? You see what I mean? Yeah, I do see what you mean, actually. Um, all right. So uh, let's get to the, the meat and potatoes of this. Uh, how are those components? And oh my God, Barnacle Butt Cthulhu is is disturbing. So yes, this is a Simon game. So let's let's get the the obvious right out of the way. These miniatures are mind blowingly gorgeous. Everything about them is gorgeous. They look beautiful, and they are sometimes truly horrifying. Uh, the rest of the production is on par with anything else from Simon. Nice thick cardboard, beautiful print. Uh, it looks beautiful. It looks great. It, it's lovely to put on the table. I will say one thing about Simon games, and this has been driving me nuts for a little while, but I, it, I think it sent me finally over the edge on this one. Simon does a great job of packing everything into the box. It's nice and tight, right? And when it gets to you, everything has a place and it's beautiful with one exception. When you punch your tokens, you have nowhere to put your tokens. And never has that been more evident than when you dive into the individual scenarios in this game. Because this game comes with, with quite a few scenarios to start out with, and each of them has their own smaller box in the, in the larger box. And everything fits in nice and beautiful. Except once you've punched your tokens, there's no room in this small box for um, a little Ziploc baggie holding the tokens. Because it's just so tight. And there's really no room for a Ziploc baggie holding the tokens for the core game either, let alone the scenarios. And and this has been a problem with all Simon games. I end up generally popping the insert out and putting things under the insert because that's the only place I can seem to, to, to find a hole for the tokens. It's never been enough to discuss before. And in this game, it drove me over the wall because I hate not having tokens in a baggie and, and all nice and, and tidy. Well, I, I guess that answers the question of anything off in the execution. Anything else you can think of? No, the rest of the execution is gorgeous. Um, they even have little silver highlights on the box, so Cthulhu's eyes and the words death may die just pop right off the box. It's gorgeous. It's <laughs> funny. I like it. So what's the recommended player count on this bad boy? There's a solo mode. Um, I've played it with uh, two players mostly. Uh, Carlos and I played it a bunch, and a couple times I managed to get a third and fourth player in. It worked at all player counts. It uh, it's kind of self-balancing through mechanics based on the number of actions that you get and the number of things that spawn. Because, yeah, if there are more people then based off what you said, like things travel faster and things spawn faster because everybody gets a turn. And, and it's an Eric Lang game, you know, with Rob Davio, Davio, of course. But as an Eric Lang game, it is tough. It is not easy to to be successful. Yeah, oh, that's just Cthulhu games in general. Yeah. Oh my God. All right. Well, Jonathan. If you only had one last thing to say about the game, which you do, what would it be? My only complaint about this game is that there isn't quite as much narrative in the scenarios as I would have liked. And this is something that I've grown rather accustomed to with Mansions of Madness. 
this borrows a lot of ideas from Mansions of Madness in terms of the things that you interact with and the way you approach things and the overall feel, which is great because both of them really truly feel like you are in the Cthulhu mythos uh, of the books. The problem is that after the exquisite way that Mansions of Madness tells a story in the midst of the game, it's, it's tough to go to something like this and not see that story. That said, the gameplay mechanics themselves are exquisite. There's lots of different ways to mitigate the core dice rolls, which is fantastic because so often that ends up being one of the most frustrating things for me because I, I tend to either roll super hot or super cold. There's no in between. So if a game does not have a way for me to mitigate dice rolls, I'm going to get frustrated. This, I never got frustrated even when I was rolling cold. There's a great challenge. There are fantastic characters uh, with really just phenomenal diversity in those characters. And that's really exciting to see too. Uh, And the characters are all super, super unique and super interesting. And they, they each have their own kind of little feel to them, if you will. And there's lots of different microsystems in this game that are, are, are constantly pulling at you to make decisions and pulling at you to, to, to make tough choices. For instance, if you, um, as you go insane, you're only going to get the opportunity to, uh, uh, do six level ups, but there's a total of nine on your, on your player card. And so much of that could change from scenario to scenario. In fact, I would say that one of the greatest things that this game does and it does it in a completely different way from Mansions of Madness, is how it mixes the scenarios and the the Elder Gods so that you always get a fresh-feeling component. I want my one last thing to say be to say Barnacle Bud is really disturbing. Yeah, the, the like I said, the art in this game is phenomenal. Absolutely gorgeous. You know what I can't help but think about? Somebody, somebody really took the time to look at a naked, heavy-set person's posterior and really like really got the essence of it and then for whatever reason thought you know what would make this over the top just open barnacly sores all over it just all over they're not even barnacles it's almost like 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 suction cups like this back is this yeah, butt is just I all think, suction cups i think that's kind of what they're going for is the octopus thing yeah it's great man like the the, the minis look gorgeous so yeah this is a cool game this is a really cool game i had a lot of fun with it takes forever and a day to put it all together when you're first taking it out. But that's pretty much every every Cthulhu game I've ever played. They just tend to be really heavy on the components. Well, that brings us to the end of our deep dive, which means it is, unfortunately, time for our closing thoughts for episode 97. It's in the can, Robert. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Once again, we ask you to join us on all of our digital domains. We would love to hear from you. And that, of course, brings us to Robert. Any final thoughts? Yes, in case you're wondering about the quote, the quote is, that is not dead which can eternal lie, and eat, and with strange aeons even death may die. There it which is. Which is apparently a, a quote from uh, the Necronomicon. So, yes. Tying that joke earlier together. And I'm explaining it, so it must be more funny now. Have you cooked anything from the Necronomicon? No, I didn't, I didn't actually get that. Oh. So now... I really want somebody to do like a cooking show where that's what they do. They just go through that cookbook. <laughs> that'd be pretty awesome. That, that'd be a good YouTube cooking show, I think. Well, Robert, that leaves us just with one last thing to do, and that is to be excellent to one another and party on. Party on, Jonathan.
Hey, Gina. Come here. You want to say something and I'll screw you up? So we're reviewing this game. Mm-hmm. There's a Kickstarter-exclusive Cthulhu figure. Right? It's pretty ugly. See him? See him? Mm-hmm. Look, look at his back. That's his back. Oh, gross. Oh, oh, you. Look at that ass. Oh, look at that ass. Oh, that's so gross. Are you talking about barnacle butt? Oh, yeah, barnacle butt. It's like herpes. <laughs> the worst case of herpes in the world. <laughs> The music you heard in this podcast was intro by Elifiel. Additional music was provided by Brian Winkleman. Funding for the Forgot My Dice podcast was provided by our supporters on Patreon. Thank you 